Approaching Zion, Gospel Mysteries, Episode 8. This may be the first episode we do where we're consciously trying to do a sub-two-hour discussion. Uh-oh. Which means it'll probably go two and a half hours <laughs> by the time we're now done that, with it. Now that you've put it out there, <laughs> Murphy's Law. This will be the longest one yet. <laughs> we are going to talk about conversion. What it means to be converted, how that's different than having a testimony, how that ties into the covenant path. Lots of great things to to discuss. Now that I'm saying it out loud, it's gonna be it's gonna take a while. Yeah. <laughs> and we came up with I don't want to say we came up with this, but this topic kind of resonated with us because we've as the more we thought about it and pondered it, I think there's a lot of people who either A use testimony and conversion interchangeably and they they don't really even think about the fact that there is a difference between the two or b people understand there's a difference between the two but they couldn't really articulate what that difference is and why does it matter and that's what we really want to drive home during this podcast is what is the difference between testimony and conversion why does it matter and how should this help you change your life in and, understanding these two things. And they're both important. Yeah. You need to have testimony. You need to be a witness. But more importantly, you need to be converted unto Christ. And um, I was taking a look at the new Come Follow Me manual. So I'm, I'm sure the existing manual says the same thing or something similar. But the Come Follow Me manual had said that the purpose of Come Follow Me, the program, is conversion, is to convert us to Christ, which I thought was really interesting because that means it's not a it's not a gospel doctrine class mm. I mean the point isn't the intellectual exercise of learning doctrine it's to become converted to Christ and that may happen through learning and understanding doctrine but I think it's something something much more than that it's about learning to follow him or to imitate him or to be like him is probably the best way to say it. Um, yeah, it says in the New Testament, come follow me, Manuel. The first line is the aim of all gospel learning and teaching is to deepen our conversion to Heavenly Father, Jesus Christ, and help us become more like them. So not to simply deepen our testimony, but to deepen our conversion, mm -hmm. right? And that's a purposeful word used in the manual here and obviously in the manual for next year for the Book of Mormon um, study we'll be doing. So clearly the church is trying to get us not to focus just on developing a testimony, which is a good step, but ultimately developing real conversion to the Father and the Son and to being like them. And we see that in Preach My Gospel, the, the purpose, um, the missionary purpose, right, is to invite others to what? To come unto Christ yeah. or to be converted yep. to Christ. And how do you do that? Well, you, you give them invitations to participate and make covenants to walk the covenant path that, that, that Christ made available to us. So uh, before we get ahead of ourselves, let's talk about what it means to have a testimony. So when I think of the word testimony, I think of giving testimony. So obviously we have testimony meetings at church. 
But testimony is also, you also think about the courtroom, court of law, where you have people give testimony of things that they were a witness to. So if there was a crime and someone was an eyewitness to that crime, they could be called into court to give testimony of the things that they saw, that they witnessed, the things that they knew to be true. So in terms of the gospel, when we talk about testimony, we're talking about a witness. We're talking about things that we are a witness to, things that we know to be true because we have witnessed them in one way or another. Generally, we're talking about a spiritual witness. So we have a, a, a witness, a manifestation of the Holy Ghost about the truthfulness of something, and then we can be a witness to that. We can give testimony of the truthfulness of something. And that's what, that's what the purpose of the testimony meeting is that we have, have once a month, even though, um, you know, sometimes testimony meeting turns into a whole lot of things. Yeah. <laughs> Another reason I never want to be bishop <laughs> to handle those precarious situations, but to to use your analogy in a in a court case, a testimony is one piece of the greater puzzle, right? You 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 would not or or at least should not convict or exonerate anyone or anything based on one testimony that's only one aspect of the truth and what we're seeking to do is is to get at the complete truth a, a, a perfect understanding and and you can only do that by gaining a a testimony of or a witness of multiple aspects of the gospel right mm-hmm. and so that testimony is really it's multiple little testimonies of different aspects and different topics and subject matter of the gospel. Well, that's the whole process that Alma taught, is that you have the desire, and that turns into a, a process of experimenting upon a part of the word, and you start, you start becoming a witness to certain aspects of the truthfulness of it, which gives you hope. You continue experimenting and exercising that particle of faith until you gain the witness or the knowledge of the truthfulness of it. And that's why Alma says... Do you have a perfect knowledge? He says, well, you have a perfect knowledge of that thing. That doesn't mean you have a perfect knowledge of everything. It's a process that you repeat over and over and over again. I mean, that's just the learning process. You don't learn everything at once. You, you, you know, you go to school, you learn, you have to learn algebra before you can learn calculus, right? You just, you learn piece by piece and then, and you grow in that process and that progression. But that's, that's the process of gaining testimony, it's it's having being a witness or having knowledge of spiritual truths and that's really exactly what when we talk about line upon line precept upon precept it really is this iterative process of gaining a testimony of each of these little components of the gospel one of the things we've found pretty fascinating is as as our understanding of truth and the gospel has broadened and has deepened at the same time, we then try to share some of these thoughts and some of these understandings with other people who maybe are not as initiated or or not quite as aware of certain gospel aspects. And you, you find out real quick, like, man, this is really difficult to 
explain to these people or to help them see the light, so to speak. Well, you just know? to ex- to experience or witness it in the same way that you have. Exactly right. Yeah, and so clearly there is this this whole concept and this principle of line upon line. It's purposeful. Like you've got to gain a witness of each little thing in due course in the right season, right? And mm-hmm. in in one step after another, right? That's so you can build this greater foundation to be able to understand the greater uh, truths that the Lord has in store for all of his children to receive. Well, and to keep using that courtroom analogy, uh, you see that with with testimony, with witnesses that are brought in. There's still a process of the, the, the interrogation or the questioning mm-hmm. of them to help um, to help help them recall the events in a way that's actually communicates correctly the events as they actually happen, right? It's because you know, like those witnesses are just regular people. They were a witness to something. They may not be eloquent. They may not have the capacity to really explain it in a way that a jury might need to hear it. And so you write the, the lawyers generally ask them kind of leading questions that, that guide the conversation, help them get up. But that's kind of what we experience in sharing the gospel. Sometimes it's very difficult to explain truth that you have received and you know that it's true, but how do you explain in a way that the, another person who's in a different spiritual state than, than you, like mm-hmm. that they are going to actually receive that and understand it in the same way that you do? And the answer is you can't. Right? They have, they can receive it as they're ready to receive it and as the Spirit can, can manifest it unto them. Um, which may be more or less <laughs> than how you receive than how you understand it, right? This is one of the reasons why one of the first things in the gospel that somebody has to accept and learn how to do is repentance, it's humility, so that you, because otherwise, consciously or not, you start to um, create tr- your own truth, right? Anytime you have pride in your life, you start to assume answers or assume you understand truth um, that may or may not be actually true. It may not actually be reality. And that 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 humiliation that gets created within you going through the repentance process in the appropriate way really creates a foundation where you can start to receive line upon line and start to receive truth. And that this testimony or these testimonies of, of gospel components expand and grow and you can start to then truly walk that covenant path which ultimately what is that it's receiving greater truth mm-hmm. receiving a more complete picture of truth and god's truth for his children that's what the covenant path leads us to and that can only be done by starting with humble or humility in what we're doing i always like how uh, elder bednar almost always when he gives a talk like in conference he always starts off by saying, you know, desiring or praying that the Holy Ghost communicates his words to to the audience individually. There's a there's a talk he gave, I think it was at the MTC, where he told the missionaries uh, to not write down a single word that he says. And I was like, oh, that's weird. And he goes, what you need to write down is what the Spirit communicates to you, meaning the knowledge that he is sharing, the information that he's communicating through his talk, that's less important than whatever unique insights you receive you that are specific and unique to you through the Spirit. 
much more important. So each, each one of us individually, we can be listening to the word of prophecy and we can have very unique insights of, hey, I need to do this. I can apply this in my life in this unique way. Might even be something that com- seems completely unrelated, but it comes to you while you're in that spirit of prophecy. That's what's more important than anything. I mean, more important than just the the, the doctrine or the knowledge itself is, is the Holy Ghost communicating and giving you revelation on on things that you should be doing in your daily life now to draw nearer to Christ or draw nearer to our Heavenly Father. That's what's most important of all um, uh, in in this process of, of gaining testimony is that communication or witness of the Holy Ghost. The crazy thing, too, is that as you gain a testimony or, or, or a testimony of all these aspects of the gospel, it's crazy how individual it is. Like somebody will say something or a lesson will be taught or a conference talk will be delivered. And man, I interpret or receive truth out of it in one way that really impacts my life and strengthens my testimony. And somebody else receives something totally different out of that same talk. Obviously, the Spirit knows how to teach each of us and knows what each of us needs. As crazy as that is to me, then you think about it and you're like, well, that's the only thing that makes sense. That's the only way this could work. We could, there's no way to structure this this whole process of learning and growth and progression to where everybody does it the exact same way, right? That makes zero sense at all. And it's fascinating to me how the spirit is every, it's so individual. Mm-hmm. It's so unique to you. And that's, man, such an interesting thing about being a member of the church is from people on the outside looking in, sometimes they look at us almost in kind of a monotone way, like we we all can appear the same or can be the same. And then as people join and receive a fullness of the gospel and start being unified with the body of saints, they start to realize, man, these are really unique individuals. And that aspect, that unique personality that you have, it it the gospel actually opens that up even more and expands upon that uniqueness and that 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 individual that you are which is so funny when the church gets this persona of like this cult-like mentality you know and I'm listen I'm not saying there are things you know about you know certain culture within the church like you know we could get away from that we don't need to we don't we don't want to put mm-hmm. truth or or culture above truth but from the outside looking in there is this kind of conception of like people in the church all being the same and kind of this cultish mentality. And really it's the exact opposite of that Mm -hmm. as true believers grow and, and walk the covenant path and progress farther down the covenant path, man, that unique individual who they are and the unique skill set and attributes they have actually becomes more illuminated and it becomes more impactful and affecting other people. That's what, that's what Paul taught is that the spirit of Christ Right, it it lets you, it lets your natural gifts, mm-hmm. right, bloom. Yeah, and that each of us brings those those natural gifts that we have, those unique gifts that we have, into the body of Christ. Mm-hmm. So we can all very much be individual, mm-hmm. and have our have our own quirks. Yeah, <laughs> bring our own bring our own unique gifts, but still be united in Christ and be living by the Word of God and by 
by the Holy Ghost and, and Revelation. Which is super interesting because when I was younger, this whole like the whole emo fad was going on and the whole point of being emo was like you didn't want to be like anybody else, you know? And then you could point at somebody and be like, That that person's totally emo, you know? Yeah. Because they were all the same. But that's what happens in the world when they create uniqueness, when they create the individuality that they all so desperately seek. What do they ultimately end up doing? They become a group. They become a group, man. It, it totally becomes a group mentality. And really, you see that the, the covenants and the obedience that we adhere to in truly following the Savior is really what makes you unique. It really opens up that individual within you. And we've seen this several times where the... In, in this conference and in recent general conferences where the, the church leadership is really saying, avoid identifying yourself with labels. That I'm this or I'm that, I associate with this group or this group. Like, be a follower of Christ. Yeah, first. And, and then and then be you. Yeah. Right, that's that's all you need. That's the, that's the correct way to live your life. As you don't need to seek uh, validation or through groups and inclusion in the world. Yeah. Right. That's, that's, that's not the approach that's going to bring joy. Well, and as you develop these, these unique testimonies of the gospel, as you, as you strengthen your understanding of gospel components and gospel truth, who you are as an individual, you have the strength and you have the fortitude and the confidence to stand up to this kind of group think mentality, right? Because we we used to do that. You know, m- people listening to this, they don't know who we who we were before, and and the the kind of ideologies we had, and some of that labeling that we were engaged in. You know, we totally bought into all of that stuff as well. Man, we've been through a journey, dude. And then as we <laughs> as we've gained real testimonies and really developed now a true conversion. All of that just falls by the wayside. Like you don't even care about these groups that get created in the telestial world. It's right? amazing how so much of the world and consumerism and They're just politics, the fat of the world, man. It all just like becomes so insignificant. Yeah. The more the more you draw nearer to Christ, it's it's, it, it's amazing. Yeah. how that it, it melts away. Literally, I mean, just like the refiner's fire, the melting away of the dross. Like, that's usually, we look at, like, us, like, oh, man, all of my imperfections, which is true. That does, as the Lord refines you, a lot of that waste gets melted away. But what we don't talk about a lot is a lot of the 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 world and the waste of the world, man, mm. just, you it, it gets totally, completely removed from you. You just don't care about it anymore. You just don't look at things the same way, you know, when we go to the temple and we hear people talking politics or work or financials, economy, whatever, not that we're judgmental, but you just look at it and you're like, man, I don't even care about that crap anymore, man. Like it just, it really, it doesn't, and I'm not saying we're better than anybody else. It just says when you, when you change your perspective. You start to realize how out of place that conversation yeah. is in the temple. It's, it's totally missing the point, man. Yeah. Completely missing the point. We're getting... Yeah, outside way <laughs> off the rails. All right, so testimony. Uh, Laman and Lemuel had testimonies, right? They were a witness to an angel. Yep. Even they didn't deny the angel after it left. They were just 
hey, how the heck can we do what but, the Lord wants us to but, do? But they had testimonies. Yep. And they yep. were witnesses. Mm-hmm. So, and so wasn't he fine, so was Sam. Mm-hmm. So, obviously, having a testimony is not the same as being converted. Yep. Right? That's that's the that's the clear lesson that we can learn from from that example in the Book of Mormon. Um, the difference becomes, okay, you have a witness. What are you going to do about it? And so Laman and Lemuel, okay, they they did heed the word of the angel and they they stopped hitting on, <laughs> stopped beating Nephi. 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 Yeah. Uh, so you know there was there was some action, but it was short lived. Whereas Nephi was strengthened by that, and he turned around and. He went and did what he had to do to get the plates, mm. right? The, he, the hardest task of all was, was fell upon him. And that's what's important here. Conversion is taking the testimony and doing something with it. So it involves works, right? We just talked about grace and works and, and, and how all that fits together. But it involves you taking your testimony that you've been given, that is a gift, right? That is grace you have received through the Holy Ghost, and then applying it in your life and making the effort to act upon it, right? So well, when I was 20, we talked about this in our first episode when we shared our kind of our testimony Personal, conversion yeah, stories. Conversions. Um, I received a witness, a powerful witness from the Holy Ghost that the Book of Mormon was true, that the church was true, right? So the conversion that was the fruit of that was that I went to the bishop and I repented of how I was living my life. And then I put in papers to serve a mission, right? I I did a 180 in my life. And that was all a result of testimony that I had gained, but it was still something that I had that I had to do. I had I had to use my agency with the testimony I was given. And that's where we kind of make that transition from testimony to conversion. Okay, I know it's true, great. What are you going to do about it? Are you, how are you going to live your life differently now that you have this knowledge. The fulfillment of each of the blessings we all ultimately want that are offered through the fullness of the gospel, that fulfillment isn't offered or provided through testimony. It's provided through real conversion. Now, as we gain a testimony, however simple that testimony may be, there are benefits and blessings uh, to be received from that. But ultimately, if you want the greatest blessings, it requires conversion because conversion is that action of I'm going to act upon the beliefs that I have now, the testimonies I have, and come what may, regardless of where the world takes me, I will live that truth I have received, the, the, the eternal truths of God. I mean, I think it's the, I think it's the classic Nephi. I will go and do. Yes, that is conversion. Yep. It is going and doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Zelder Bednar has said, right? It is. It is becoming. Yep. Conversion is using your agency to become more like Jesus Christ. I think you had a, a Bednar quote you wanted to share. Yeah, this was from October 2012, a Bednar talk called "Converted Unto the Lord," and and he pretty much outlines what conversion is. In a, in a pretty short paragraph, he said, conversion is an enlarging, a deepening, and a broadening of the undergirding base of testimony. It is a result of revelation from God. Okay, we see why President Nelson is focusing so much on 
Revelation, accompanied by individual repentance, so that humility, obedience, and diligence. This kind of has allusion to the temple. Any honest seeker of truth can become converted by exper- experimenting, excuse me, experiencing the mighty change of heart and being spiritually born of God. As we honor the ordinances and covenants of salvation and exaltation, press forward with a steadfastness in Christ and endure in faith to the end, we become new creatures in Christ. Conversion is an offering of self, of love, and of loyalty we give to God in gratitude for the gift of testimony. We don't really think about that sometimes, testimony as a gift. And as we receive that gift, what should we do with it? Well, Elder Bednar lays it out here, an offering of self, of love, and of loyalty, all given unto God for that gift of testimony. You know, we we have this mindset sometimes like, oh, it's my testimony, which isn't wrong, but it's almost like, does that warp our perspective of what a testimony really is? It's truly a gift from God that we have gained a witness now of some eternal truth of 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 God and of his dealings with men, you know, and, and women, of course, but it really is a gift from God. And it's it's almost a better perspective that of that is almost like my the my testimony is, you know, the gift God's given me to bear witness of this. You know, that's that's really a better way to think about it. Well, and there's no other way to receive it other than grace. Yeah. To be given it. Yeah. The Holy Ghost. And a few things that just jumped out at me here. One, any honest seeker of truth, real intent. Yep. You cannot, you will not receive a witness of the Holy Ghost without real intent. That Moroni states that very clearly in his promise. If you have real intent and you ask if the Book of Mormon is true, then you will receive your witness. What does real intent mean? You intend to act on the response. It's not curiosity. It's you're an honest seeker of truth that wants to follow truth upon knowing that it is true. And the second thing that jumped out at me is as we honor ordinances and covenants to press forward uh, with a steadfastness in Christ. So the covenant path, walking the covenant path, using our agency to be true and faithful to the promises we make, that is a very key part of mm-hmm. conversion. And then likewise, conversion is an offering of self, right? Broken heart, contrite spirit, love, sacrifice. Uh, sacrificing your favorite sins, yep. right? As, yep. as President Nelson taught. And and then the very last thing, loyalty and gratitude. Really loving God and understanding his hand in your life. That's just an amazing quote. There's so much, so much there to unpack in understanding conversion. You know, this, this idea, this concept of loyalty, I don't want to say it's foreign in today's world, but in reality, it, it really is foreign. I mean, people jump ship all the time yeah. and are looking for every excuse to move on to the next bigger, better, greater thing, you know, or they're going to grab onto the coattails of the next person that's on the rise, on the way up, you know, so they can move up with them. And this idea of loyalty to God, I love that 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 illustration because I genuinely believe that's 
really what's going to be necessary in the coming days. I mean, President Nelson talks about what's coming, like the difficulties of maintaining a testimony and conversion to the gospel. Without revelation, you will not be able to survive the coming days, right? And ultimately what's going to happen is your eyes may deceive you. The world around you, you may say, wait, is this really, is the Lord really okay with these things happening? Is the Lord really there? The the outward appearance of what's happening may initially make you wonder and question, but ultimately, are you true and faithful? Do you remain loyal to God through it all, whatever may come? Because I feel like that testing, not that we haven't already seen that in, in some aspects, but it's only going to increase where it's going to be easier and easier if we choose to excuse and to say, you know, oh, clearly things aren't going the way that they should go if God were this or if the gospel were true or whatever. It's going to be easier to find excuses to move away from the covenant path. And what Elder Bednar is saying here is through all of these things and through your loyalty to God, that conversion will continue to deepen. Because through those trials and those difficulties, as you remain loyal, that conversion, that understanding and the truth you receive will deepen. There is a purpose to the trials that are coming. It's not wasted on the Lord. If you remain loyal, those trials and those tests you will go through, even if they're just internal, will be used for your benefit and will help you in your conversion to the Lord. And the temple makes it very clear that being having your loyalty or your integrity tested is a very big part of the plan of salvation. Yeah, it is It is a principle of this whole thing we're doing. It's making the covenants, but then proving yourself faithful to them. Yeah. So integrity, meaning your ability to give your word and then be true to it. You know, like we, we like to say, well, back, you know, in the olden days, like you just shook hands on something and it was as good as gold. Yeah. Right. That was integrity. People, people had, they were true to their word. You don't see that as much in the world today, but that's integrity. And, you know, you can, you can use that loyalty or integrity. I mean, that's a very big part of being a covenant people is having integrity to the covenants you have made. Meaning you may not understand everything. You may, there may be things you really don't understand at the current moment. But you've made the covenant, you've made the promise to keep a certain law. And if you have integrity, you will do so regardless of your understanding of the current situation. A couple of things in regards to that. One, we are not asking or telling people, hey, even if it makes no sense and um, you know, you're struggling with it, just follow blindly and and keep moving forward. That's not what we're saying. What we're saying is continue true and faithful and almost always as time goes by, you will start to receive the understanding and start to develop the Christ-like perspective that something you may have struggled with before, something you didn't understand before will start to be illuminated to your mind and impressed upon your soul where you'll say, you know, I used to question this. I didn't understand it, but now the Lord is showing me and I'm starting to see through wisdom and through, and through the time and the, and the age of 
just learning and growing how this really is truth. Right. You know, that's key. And and the second thing to that is, you know, even the Savior, when he's on the cross and has that moment of the Father having to withdraw and feeling like, you know, Father, why why are you forsaking me? Even he had to go through that ultimate trial and testing of will he keep his integrity? Yep. Will he remain faithful? Because that's the only way the ends of the law could be answered. And he had to fulfill all the ends of the law. And and that was part of the process. We have to go through that too. Not to the degree in which he did, but clearly as we make covenants and as we receive a greater outpouring of truth, we will be tested on that truth we receive. And I'll say it's not blind faith because conversion is built on the bedrock of testimony. Right. Yeah. You right you make your baptismal covenant when you receive your first testimony of truth of the truthfulness of of Jesus Christ and of the restored gospel, the restored church, the restored priesthood. That t- if you don't have the testimony of that, you're not going to be successful in your conversion. Right, it's that just means you're you're joining the church for some other reason that is is not a sure foundation, a firm foundation. So it's not blind faith because conversion is the conversion or the covenants you make should be built upon testimony, a witness that you've received that the path you're on is correct. So. Yes, it requires you sometimes to stay true and faithful, even though you the may, whole picture hadn't been illuminated yet. You don't understand all things, yep. but that doesn't mean you're blind, mm-hmm. because you have a very, if you have the testimony, you have a very, very clear uh, understanding that the path you're on is correct, even if, like like in Lehi's vision, even if that path goes through darkness sometimes, you can hold on to that word of God you've received, that testimony, and make it through it. Yeah. Well, and that's exactly, you quoted Alma earlier, talking about, you know, is this a perfect knowledge? Have you received all truth and all knowledge as you go through that faith, desire, hope cycle? No, you don't understand everything perfectly, but you have an understanding of at least one thing, and hopefully you stack that one thing on with other truths of eternity that you receive. And even though the whole picture hasn't been illuminated, you have enough of a foundation of testimony where it's like, I can continue forward in faith, remain true and faithful, and your conversion deepens and it grows. I think that's what we see with Peter, too. Because Christ, you know, Peter said, had a testimony that Jesus was the Christ. And Christ said... You know, he recognized that it was the spirit of revelation that had given him that witness. However, was he converted? That's he that was he really going to be true and faithful to that witness? Well, he had to learn to be. Yeah. Right. Because he had to go through denying Christ three times and that whole process. And to look, kind of learn the difference of, OK, testimony is not enough. Yeah. I actually have to walk the walk. You know, that's actually really profound because we wonder, like, why, after saying he would never deny Christ, why did Peter have to go through that likely excruciating experience of uh, uh, denying him on the eve of 
everything that was going on or everything that had just happened, you know, but because what he learned through that experience is of what you had before was a, a testimony, mm-hmm. but you hadn't, you know, because he hadn't had to go through this process of remaining true and faithful without the Lord being there physically, he hadn't developed that sincere, deep conversion where he would go, which he ultimately did. He would he would go through anything and everything, even the cost of his own life, mm-hmm. to maintain his faith and and witness of the Savior, you know? And so it's really profound that he had to go through that experience to develop conversion. And in one way or another, we've got to go through a similar experience, hopefully not denying Christ three times like that, but there will be things that we will be tested on so that we can develop that level of conversion as well that Peter Peter ultimately did develop. Yeah. I think that's what we see with Alma and and Paul, Saul as well. I think they were I think they were actually honest seekers of truth as as Bednar said, but they did not have testimonies of Christ. So they were being true and faithful to whatever philosophy of men that they had, right? They had uh, received previous. That they had, yeah. they had accepted, that they, they had accepted as, as truth, and that led them to be very, you know, walk a path of, of wickedness, mm-hmm. even, you know, uh, through by being deceived. But the moment they received their testimony, they were then true and faithful to that 100 percent and that's because they had real intent and and they were able to receive that testimony and and of course they were they they were examples to us all on how to walk that covenant path after that's that experience that's actually kind of an example or a use case for missionaries today the type of people we're seeking people who are genuine not that they have a lot of knowledge, not that they have a lot of understanding, or that things they genuinely believe might be totally inaccurate. Or they might be very wicked. Or they might be very wicked. But that genuine personality of, this is what I believe, this is who I am, the Lord can work with that. He can do miracles Mm -hmm. through somebody who is genuine. The problem today is we have so many people who are lukewarm as the Lord warns about, they will go wherever the wind blows and they will say whatever they need to say to be accepted or to receive whatever it is they're looking for, whatever benefit they're seeking. Or I think a lot of times they actually just don't believe in anything. Or yeah, they don't believe in anything. And you can't do anything with those type of people. Even if somebody's dead wrong on something, if they're genuine in it, I can deal with that person. I will accept that person and say, you know, I don't think you're right, but I like you because you're being genuine and honest, at least according to your understanding. The Lord can work with those people, not the people who just go with the breeze and and ha- are not firmly planted somewhere. You got to be firmly planted somewhere for the Lord to work with you. So we've talked about conversion being becoming. It's walking the covenant path. It's doing something about the testimony you've received. And uh, you shared with me the other day uh, scripture in 3rd Nephi that Christ references conversion, being converted to him. That was just beautiful. You want to 
share that with us? Yeah, third Nephi. Let's see, what was that there? I got pulled up here. Oh, go ahead. Um, let's see. Thirteen. Oh, all ye that are spared, because ye were more righteous than they. So this is after the the tumults of um, you know Christ has been crucified in in Jerusalem, and the the darkness had engulfed the new world. All of these terrible things had happened. So Christ is saying, "Hey, you that were spared, will ye not now return unto me and repent of your sins and be converted?" So for what? that I may heal you. So put yourself in as best we can the mindset of these Nephite and Lamanite individuals who had just experienced this cataclysmic event and had been in darkness over a three-day period. I mean, darkness that they literally could see nothing. The fear. It was a tangible yes, darkness. Yes, you could literally feel the darkness ar- uh, around you, you know, according to, to the scriptures. Think of the fear, the the unknown, the lack of hope. There was no light for that amount of time. I mean, there was nothing that they could hold to or, or say, hey, it's going to get better. They had no idea. It was complete darkness in every way. And then the Lord is saying, be converted that I may heal you. He's speaking this unto them. I mean, imagine the hope that would bring to these people. Follow me, be converted. And this experience you've gone through, you will never have to deal with again. You will be healed from all of this and never have to experience that again. That's incredibly powerful for people who are going through difficult, despairing events where they feel like I'll never recover or never truly be who I was. Well, the Lord may not want you to be who you were before. If you allow him, he will raise you up out of that despair and that difficulty. Make you a new creature. Make you a new creature. He will appropriately heal you only the way he can. And that's a completely different healing than what the world can ever offer or provide. And if we, if we kind of swap in our definition that we've kind of been working out here, so he says, return to me and be converted, or what he's saying is, return to me, use your agency to walk the covenant path that I may heal you. Very powerful, because we can see how can we be healed, how can we receive Christ's healing in our lives? Okay, have faith that you may be healed. Okay. Well, it's not just believe. We need to have a faith that, that, that con- a converting faith. We need to follow him, make the covenants, and then use our agency, make a, a willful effort to keep, be loyal to those covenants, true and faithful. And by doing that, we receive healing and and of course we're talking about true spiritual healing yeah. right now. That's that's something that's important because can 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 the power of Christ heal us physically? Of course it can. Mm-hmm. There are countless examples and stories, both in the scriptures and in modern times, of physical healing through the priesthood and through faith, the laying on of hands. But why does Christ? 
heal us physically? Why did he show the world and give the world physical healing? Uh, well, we see that in, in Matthew, uh, where he says, uh, well, let me pull it up here. I'll give you Matthew 9. While you're doing that, this this reminds me of, because this whole concept of why should we be converted so that Christ may heal you, I don't naturally, instinctively put the two together in the same sentence. Like, oh, you know, I want to be converted so that I can do X, Y, and Z, or so that all of these other things can happen. And Christ boils everything down so beautifully to why is conversion important? So that you may be healed which is the point of everything he did, that he can heal us. It, um, I think it was President Benson who who said, you know, the world takes, you know, the individual out of the, the slums. The Lord takes the slums out of the individual, regardless of where they are, right? And that's exactly what Christ is talking about here is no matter who you are, no matter the situation you find yourself in, he will heal you regardless. It doesn't matter. He can fix what ails you no matter where you find yourself. So this is Matthew 9. This is the, uh, the man sick of, of the palsy. Behold, they brought to him a man sick of the palsy, laying on a bed. And Jesus, seeing their faith, said unto the, said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, be of good cheer. Thy sins be forgiven thee. And of course, to the... The, the the scribes this was straight up blasphemy that he said that and he he discerns their thoughts and and he says well what's easier to say thy sins be forgiven thee or to say arise and walk meaning it's the same priesthood power that does both then he says that ye may know that the son of man hath power on earth to forgive sins he then said to the, the sick man, Arise, take up thy bed, and go into thine house. So he heals as a witness of his priesthood power and his authority to forgive sins. Or in other words, to make us that new creature. His ability to forgive the sins, and now you are whole and able to present yourself to the Father and return to the Father's presence free of sin makes you that new creature, gives you that new capability of progression that you did not have on your own. And that is that is true spiritual healing, yeah. being, being brought back into one, restored or atoned, brought at one with the Father. Yeah. Well, and, and the interesting thing about all the physical healings that Christ did how often were people healed physically and never fully appreciated or became true disciples of mm -hmm. Christ? They may have been grateful in the moment and then they turn around and walk off. I, I think of the lepers, you know, and the Lord says, did I not heal 10? You know, and how many came back and actually showed real gratitude and thankfulness to him? The reason I bring this up is it's easy to talk about, especially for people who deal with real physical issues, real physical problems. And we can say like, you know, it, it really ultimately in the end, it doesn't matter if the Lord heals you physically from those things. 
but to somebody who's going through that experience, it's really hard for them to hear that. And I'm not going to deny that. But everything about who you are physically is temporal. This is all temporary. And even the Savior performing physical miracles was not to bring or to establish people's testimonies through that. It was to actually start getting them looking towards the spiritual eternal healing that he offers, just like the Mosaic law was trying to get people to look towards the savior and the Messiah as, 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 um, the redeemer of the world and, and the one who could heal them. Ultimately his physical healings did the exact same thing, trying to help people understand the eternal healing that he provides. And ultimately we see that the spiritual healing, the eternal healing he provides, that's what truly provides real conversion and, and a real joy that the scriptures talk about. You know, we all have physical problems. I have eye issues. I've had multiple eye surgeries. Has it ever permanently fixed that? No, it hasn't. I have blood clot issues. And because of that, I've had heart issues now. Is that ever going to fully go away? Probably not. But you know, the greatest peace I find in my life is the conversion I've been able to, um, to receive that gift from God to be truly converted, to know that I am now being cleansed spiritually, being healed spiritually so that I can walk back to the presence of the Father, knowing that the Savior is covering my sins and is consistently refining me into somebody that is more like him. That's the greatest peace that can ever be received. It's not the physical healing. It's always the eternal spiritual healing that he offers. Amen. So conversion is all, this kind of goes back to our conversations on grace. Conversion is all about progression. We, we talked about how grace was all about the ability to progress. That is, that is grace that we receive, is our ability to progress back to the Father. So conversion and, and, and progression really go hand in hand. And that's what we see in, 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 in the temple and the endowment uh, ceremony is, is that the covenant path is about progressing in glory. And that's what we read in the Doctrine and Covenants is that by obeying higher laws, we progress and receive higher glory. Yep. And that is the covenant path or that is the path of conversion is approaching Christ, setting his, him, him, him in our sights and, and, and moving in his direction. And in doing so, we grow in glory or we become more like him in, in the light and truth that we, we acquire. And to go along with that, oh, I'm just going to pull up a scripture here, Doctrine and Covenants 130. It just says, There is a law irrevocably decreed in heaven before the foundations of this world upon which all blessings are predicated. And when we obtain any blessing from God, it is by obedience to that law upon which it is predicated. And then in section 132, uh He's talking about the glory of the celestial kingdom or of exaltation. 
And he says, except you abide my law, ye cannot attain to this glory. So conversion leads us to making the covenants and keeping the covenants, learning to live the higher laws, and then we can receive that the fullness of glory that, that the Father has and that, that Christ has and offers to us. And really that ties into the law of obedience. First and foremost, the going and doing yep. that, we, that we talked about. Um, the the effort or the works, you know, our individual sacrifice, however small we, we it may seem, it's very important to the Lord that that we make those individual sacrifices or offerings to Him. Right? That that's a manifestation of our faith. That's a manifestation of our loyalty and our integrity to our covenants. And it's just it's just very important. And Brigham Young was big on this. Right, he he talked a lot about how building the kingdom of God, it, it's something it it requires an effort, manual labor, is what he said, or I think he said severe labor. Yeah, <laughs> of course, it does not sound fun. But on I mean, the it's, it's going. If you're if you are converted to Christ, you do good, and you are engaged in the work. Now that made that that's within the sphere in which you are placed, right? It it. It doesn't mean you're going necessarily going and doing great things in the world, but it means you you have your family, you have you have people around you. You're able to do service. You're able to do good. Uh, you're able to follow Christ within that sphere in in which you find yourself right now, and that's I mean that's just such a foundational piece of of conversion. Well, you do good how you can, where you can. It's Ultimately, what you do with those desires, that is really the intent of your heart. That is the outward manifestation of where your heart is. Now, you might feel like, hey, I, I truly believe. I have, I have a real testimony. I'm truly converted to the gospel. But either consciously or subconsciously, you continue to allow things of this world or temporal whatever issues of the moment to overshadow and prevent you from doing better, doing um, uh, greater works or greater acts of charity or service for others, for your family, whoever it may be. Ultimately, whether we like it or not, as much as it might hurt to admit, it just simply is, the, the truth is, our heart is not truly converted to the Lord. Because when our heart truly is, we go out of our way instinctively, almost naturally. It's just an outgrowth to serve where we can, how we can. We don't think twice about it. We just volunteer and we do it. Or we're more patient. We're more charitable to our family members. We're more kind and, and we have greater long suffering towards other people and to those that we love. I mean, these are just natural outgrowths of the truly converted heart. You know, your actions or the labors of your day are a reflection of where your heart truly is at that moment. And when I'm truly being, when I'm truly walking the covenant path and my heart is with real intent, wanting to be close and walk with the Lord, everything I'm doing is oriented the right direction, mm -hmm. man. I'm doing the most I can where I can with whatever time the Lord gives me. And then when I pull back 
and my heart is starting to focus on some other things that are more worldly, then I start to create excuses for why I can't do that tonight or I don't need to do that right now. It's not that big of a deal. Now you start to allow these little things, these barriers or roadblocks to be excuses and impediments to the spirit being with you and to walking really tightly and closely with the Lord. Those actions really are a compass and show you, they are your internal liahona. Where am I in my current conversion to the Lord and walking the covenant path with him? That was perhaps, I mean, that that's the frustration that Jesus had with the Pharisees mm. is that they didn't, they lived, quote unquote, the law, mm. but they did not have any of that in their heart. Yep. It wasn't a natural outgrowth mm-hmm. for them. They went through an exercise, a ritual of, I'm just going to force myself to live a certain way. So they lived, they lived a law of obedience, but not from a place of love or a place of charity. Mm-hmm. They lived the law of sacrifice, which was the sacrifice of animals back then, meaning they they went to the temple, they participated in the temple, they participated in the law of sacrifice and those rituals, but they got nothing out of them. They did not receive in the slightest the the spirit behind them. This is actually I uh this kind of came up, um, I'm teaching the temple prep class right now in the ward, and it was a very interesting thing that kind of, uh, the, the Spirit prompted us to talk about, but it was, uh, you know, there's there's differences between the Old Testament temple and the modern temple. The biggest difference is we no longer sacrifice animals. <laughs> uh, I'm not going to volunteer to bring that back. or <laughs> No need. That, yeah. There's no need. But what was that all about, right? Uh, that was that, that was a question that uh, one one of our uh, new members uh, had. Well, why, why, what you know, what's the deal with sacrificing animals and, and whatnot? Of course, we know that it represents the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. What's the deal with animal sacrifice? What's the deal? So it is. It was symbolic, right? The sacrifice of the animal, the ritual. It was important because it was it was divinely inspired and given by God. It was an ordinance that was performed. So it's it was important to do. But the ritual did not have any effect. The ritual existed to point those who participated in it to Christ. It was trying to teach them that you have sin, and in order to overcome that sin, a sacrifice is required. Not from you, from a third party, a vicarious sacrifice that pointed to the Messiah, Jesus Christ. This, that's what was important, is it was a teaching tool okay, to bring Israel unto the Savior, unto Christ. Likewise, in the temple, the high priest on the Day of the Atonement, he would go into the Holy of Holies, offer sacrifice on behalf of Israel, Again, you see that there was vicarious, a vicarious ordinance where the high priest, right, the re- representing the priesthood authority of Christ, would make sacrifice on behalf of you, on behalf of, of God's people. 
And through that, right, of course, the incense would raise up to the heavens and that through that sacrifice, the prayers and the supplications and the petitions of the high priest or of the people could make their way to the Father to be heard. This is all symbolic. The rituals are important. They needed to be performed because they were commanded to be performed. But the rituals themselves did not have power. It's the symbolism of them had power. So you had to take that symbolism, take the, the, the what was being taught and, and put it into your heart and apply it. Yeah. And that is the exact that is exactly what we have in the modern temple. We have we have we have ceremonies, we have ordinances, right? We have rituals that we perform. Okay. Are the rituals in and of themselves? Do they do anything for us? No. We do them like they're divinely inspired, they're given to us. It's Jesus Christ that gives everything we do power. Don't go to the temple and be like a Pharisee where you're going through it thinking me just doing this is enough. It's like, no, you need to allow what you're doing to penetrate your heart and to truly change you. Take the sacred nature, right? Think about going animal sacrifice. Think how how sacred life is. Yeah. Think of how solemn that experience of the animal sacrifice was, of, of sacrificing a life, of actually doing that with your hands. That was a very solemn and sacred experience. It was supposed to be dramatic. It was, it was supposed to make you stop and think. Okay, We get that in the temple where we're supposed to stop. It's supposed to make us stop and think. Okay, do you understand the laws that you're covenanting to make? How do you really understand everything behind them? And then are you really doing your best to live them? Yep. Right? Take the symbolism of what you, of what you're receiving and apply it in your heart and then let Christ and the Holy Ghost work within you. Yep. That's where the power of the temple starts really taking hold in your life and right that's you know it, it's in part the law of obedience it's 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 doing everything that that Christ showed us to do and that God commands us to do it's and it's it's very much the law of sacrifice in that yes we make the sacrifice we repent we have the 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 broken heart and the contrite spirit but more than that we allow the sacrifice of Christ into our hearts to really have the power in our lives to 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 let that conversion take hold in our lives. And it's just, I just, there's beautiful parallels between the Old Testament temple and the modern temple when you really start connecting those dots. Well, and when you look at the whole concept of vicarious work, the high priest in, in the Old Testament temple, that was a heavy burden to go and to offer that sacrifice in the Holy of Holies vicariously for all of Israel to the Lord, then what does it point to, obviously? To Christ, the true high priest coming, offering himself as a sacrifice for each of us. We vicariously receive a remission of sins through what he did for us. And then now when we go to the temple, save except the first time you go, every time you go after that, you are doing work of salvation vicariously for others. And we have a tendency to get complacent in that work 
And what we don't realize is mm-hmm. you're now taking that high priest role and doing vicarious work for those who cannot do it themselves, but you have been authorized to do it from the Savior himself to do it. And this is taught this is taught so eloquently in the New Testament that Christ became the great high priest yep. of, of the Melchizedek priesthood. He took that upon himself through the atonement. He became the high priest. Mm-hmm. That is why the veil was rent right when he completed his work. Yep. Because now it's not just the high priest who can go into the holy of holies mm-hmm. who can who can participate because in, that in the was temple. the barrier that would keep the holy of holies separate from all else except the high priest so now this, the veil was rent meaning all of israel through christ has access to the temple yep has access to the presence of the father mm-hmm if they accept Christ and follow him and, and, and live that covenant path and truly apply that law of sacrifice in their heart. Yep. And man, that's powerful. And that is what we have received today in the restoration, the fullness of the gospel is you, through what Christ did, now have been authorized to go and act as a high priest and do this work of salvation vicariously for others, not to be taken lightly. And we tend to develop this culture of like, oh, get your genealogy done, get your family history done. And we don't fully appreciate the magnitude of that gift mm-hmm. we've been honored, that well, sacred duty we've been entrusted with. The high priest, he would first have to offer sacrifice for his own sins. Mm-hmm. And then he would offer sacrifice for, on behalf of the yes. sins of Israel or others. That's what we do. That's today. what we do today. That's a hundred percent. We go Christ. to the temple yep. first for ourselves, really uh, become cleansed from from uh, from our from the blood and sins of this generation. Yep. And then we are qualified to return to the temple mm-hmm. and make those same blessings available to others. To others, vicarious right. work. So, so many awesome parallels there yep. between between the the. The Old Testament temple and the modern temple, and um, we may have got off track a little bit from. Well, no, I don't think so because <laughs> this is really the, this whole concept. The way that the Lord has structured this whole thing is to just instinctively, just like ancient Israel, He is trying to instill within each of us individually this deep conversion, so that we can survive and thrive through difficulties in the days that are coming. But ultimately, what? so that we can be healed and return to the presence of the Father. It's the same thing that ancient Israel, he was trying to get them to understand. He's trying to get us to understand the same thing. And sometimes we totally miss the point of what the temple today is teaching us and, and he's opening a, up He's up there us. looking at us going, quit being Pharisees, y'all. Exactly right. Stop <laughs> doing it the way they did it. And allow yourself to be truly converted. The rich young man. I've done all these things, Lord. Okay, give it all away now and follow me. That's what the temple is is pointing us to. Mm. All the crap you have around you, give it all away. Give it all up and fully commit to the Lord in all things. Every aspect of your life, give it all to the Lord. Well, and those are the two. I mean, those are the, what are the covenants associated with higher glory? Law of the gospel, which is really charity. Love God above all things. Love your neighbor. What is 
what does it really mean to love God with all your heart? I mean, there's there's a lot to unpack. Yeah, there's that's a whole episode. But itself. I mean, it's it's to simplify it, I kind of view it as do everything for the right reason. Don't just, real intent, real purpose don't just, of heart. Don't just live the law. Be a person that loves the law. Become, become that Christ-like person. Become as Christ is. Mm-hmm. Love your neighbor, right? Charity. As as Paul said, if you don't have charity, you're nothing, right? It doesn't matter what other gifts you have. Like that's you're missing the point. Mm-hmm. It's all about love. Um, of course, law of chastity and and, and moral cleanliness, right? Self perfection and and law of consecration. Law of consecration is so is such a critical part of true conversion. Mm-hmm. It's 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 the highest celestial law. It's it's often seen as an enigma or hard to understand how hard to understand how to implement it in your lives. Uh, I always laugh because Brigham Young he goes you know he's he's he said love consecration is the easiest commandment to live, <laughs> the easiest law to live. And meanwhile, everyone's always like, well, like, do we, you know, like, do we even live? Do we live the law of consecration? Are we still waiting? Are we, do we have to wait for the, re- you know, and Brigham Young's just like, it's so easy. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but you you mentioned the young rich man because that this is why he said it's easy. Yeah. The young rich man is the law of consecration. Yep. That is the lesson. Hey, I'm living, I'm, I'm living all the commandments, following all the commandments. My heart's in the right place. What do I need to do? Christ said. Right, go sell everything you have and and give it to the poor. Mm-hmm. Meaning, charity, and overcoming Babylon, overcoming the world. Like stop focusing on yourself. Yep. And like take that personal ambition you have, turn it outwards, and start helping others instead of of just looking to uh, lift yourself up in in the eyes of the world. And that's what consecration's all about. It's about like, are you able to say, I don't need all this, uh, all, all these riches of the world. That's yeah. not what's important. Sufficient for my needs is all I need. I just, I just need what is sufficient, um, right? My daily bread yep. and everything else the Lord gives me, right? I'm going to put that into the kingdom of God. I'm going to use that in service of others. And that's all about your heart. Mm-hmm. It's about it's about the state of your heart, and it's about acting on it in the correct way. And man, it's important. It's so I mean, it's so clear in the temple that law of consecration, like that is that is the, the law that truly helps you pierce the veil mm-hmm. and commune with in the presence of the Father. And it's. I just think it's so important to understand because we're, you know, we're told law of consecration, you know, it's, it's as taught in the Doctrine and Covenants. Well, law of consecration is taught all throughout the Doctrine and Covenants. It's not just, you can't just say, here's one verse that teaches law of doc, you know, the, the law of consecration and the Doctrine and Covenants. Well, no, that's like, it's all mixed in. There's, there's the United Order and how that was applied. There's the law of tithing. There's, there's all these different elements and you got to kind of feel it out. And you got to apply it to your personal situation. Yeah. Right? It's not going to look the same for two different people. Right? 
And it, it's funny because they say like law of consecration is easier for poor people than it is for rich people. Why? Because if you, if the Lord has given you more, you have to you have to give more. Yeah. Right. If if much is given, much is required. Yeah. So it requires that uh, much more conversion to to be able to do it without any hesitation, right? For the right reasons, without even without even thinking about it. But man, is it important? You know the other the other moment in the New Testament where Christ very clearly taught and and displayed the law of consecration and what that ultimately leads to is just as the atonement was starting what did what did Christ tell the father hey take this from me like I don't instinctively want to do it this way. I want to do it. I don't know that I want to do it this way, but then immediately surrenders any personal will or ambition and says, nevertheless, not my will be done, but thine. Mm -hmm. What is the law of consecration seeking to do? It is the perfect culmination of surrendering your will and whatever is left of that, and seeking to do the will of the Lord as perfectly as you possibly can. And that's exactly what the Savior did when he started the atonement. It is that culmination of, I will fulfill the law of consecration. He, he, he uh, abandoned any personal self-interest and gave everything to the father and said, I will do it exactly as you want me to do it. And that's exactly what he did. And so clearly the law of consecration is what allows us to become like him, right? That may not be, I mean, we cannot do it the way he did it, but we don't have to because of the atonement are living the law of consecration is significantly lessened, we are asked to give far less than what the Savior had to give. All we are asked to give, though, is is our heart to, to surrender our will and do the, 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 the will of the Lord for us individually. Whatever the Lord's will is for us, that's what we've got to be willing to do. All you have to give is everything. Oh, yeah. <laughs> But when we've been given so much less than, than the Lord had, he had it all. He had all power well, that, and all glory, and he gave it all. That's the trick to understanding the law of consecration. You give everything that you have to the Lord, and you become an inheritor to everything that the Lord has. Yes, which is greater than what you have now. That's a, that's a no-brainer. Yes, a no-brainer. <laughs> that is a no-brainer. Yes. You give you give all that you have, which is this amount, yeah, little bit, and you receive everything. Everything. That's right. Like that's like if, if someone offered you a financial transaction, hey, give me whatever you have in your bank account, and then I'll give you access to my multi-million-dollar <laughs> bank account. It's like you'd know, like give me a million bucks, <laughs> and I'll give you a printing press. You can just print as a, as much money as you want. You'll <laughs> never run out. That's the offer. That's right? the offer. That's the law of consecration, and if you can. You can really conceptualize that. Like, why wouldn't you live it? And right, we see with Joseph Smith in Missouri, he implemented the United Order, 
which was meant to be the application of the law of consecration for Zion. But of course, they failed in having their hearts in the right place and living it. Right. So what happened? So United Order was um, uh, was taken away. Uh, and then what do we see? Well, we saw the principles of the law of consecration remained. Law of tithing was given. Mm-hmm. So now instead of having this kind of bureaucratic process, of, okay, you know, give everything you have to the church and the church is going to probably give it back to you as your stewardship or give you something um you know, something of, of equal or, or greater value that according to your gifts, you'll receive your stewardship back from the church. And right. And then you're then, and then even though, even though what you've been given is yours, right, you've gone through that kind of bureaucratic, bureaucratic process of understanding, okay, well, really it was given to me from God. And now it's very clear that I should just be using this to produce for the kingdom of God. So there's principles there, and today we live we live a much higher form of the law of consecration. Like instead of having that formal bureaucratic process uh, with the United Order, today it's just live it if you want. Yeah. Right. On your own, discern how to do that through the Spirit, and so we pay our tithing. Right. That is essentially our initiation into the law of consecration you could say that's the first that's the first step mm-hmm. um we all have our stewardships already given to us meaning all the blessings we receive from the lord is our stewardship given to us from the lord if we can recognize that everything we have is from the lord then it's just a question of being a producer mm-hmm. take your gifts take what you've been given produce for the kingdom yep. give of your excess and if you truly have your heart in the law of consecration, you will give all of your excess to the kingdom of God after, of course, taking care of yourself and your family and having sufficient for your needs and, and, and providence for, for the future and whatnot. But that's right. It's, it's just, it's, it's the perfect image of conversion. Yeah. Right. Of really submitting to the will of the father and living for the, the, the blessing of others and, and taking others out of poverty and, and, really applying those principles of charity in the kingdom of God. We don't, not nearly as much as the early saints focused on, we don't focus enough, we don't conceptualize enough and and then internalize enough today that we truly are, we literally are building the kingdom of God. One of the quotes you had from uh, uh, Brigham Young is, if we are to build up the kingdom of God, or establish Zion upon the earth, we have to labor with our hands, plan with our minds, and devise ways and means to accomplish that object. What is he trying to get people to understand is you have to be purposeful in what you are doing. You have to literally be able to internalize, I am building the kingdom of God on the earth. Today, we have a tendency to think that the church is they've got enough. The church has enough money. The church is building all these temples. Like everything's just kind of rolling forth on its own. And if we focused more on like the early saints did, forget about all that. We are literally building the kingdom of God upon the earth. You would consistently find ways to give more, 
to serve more, give up your time, give up your energy, give up your talents, give up your money, give it all well, because we are building the kingdom of God. There's two different aspects to love consecration, building up of the kingdom of God mm-hmm. and also edification of Zion. Yes. Yeah. Two different things. Okay. Building up of the kingdom of God, right? That is happening. That's ongoing. There's a lot to it. We participate in that. The church is doing excellent. Excellent with that. Yep. <laughs> the church leadership has just been amazing stewards. Which we have no problem with, by the way. I know some people get uptight about what the church does with its funds, but man, keep doing what you're doing. I mean, the church has has a mandate to to grow and be as successful as possible. Yes. Right. That, correct. How else are you going to 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 build up the kingdom of God mm-hmm. across the entire face of the earth unless you have the means to do so? Yep. Pretty. I mean, that's obvious. Should be. Should be. I was going to say be. it's not so obvious <laughs> for some people. Edification of Zion, right? That's less the temporal piece and more the spiritual piece, mm-hmm. meaning being united as a people. Yep. And really. One heart and one mind. Well, establishing that that unity in yourself. Mm-hmm. Becoming a Zion individual. And if each of us individually becomes Zion individuals, well, we have Zion. Zion, Zion is 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 the pure in heart, right? One in purpose. So there's the temporal side, and then there's a the spiritual side of the law of consecration. But we have to be right right now. We are the ones responsible for establishing Zion, mm. for for the edification of Zion, and that's not going to happen any other way than each of us individually establishing Zion in our heart first. It's the only way, which requires real. Conversion, true conversion. We talked a little bit about this and and we didn't put it directly in our outline, but we discussed this previously, how baptism and the worship we do on the Sabbath in our church buildings each day is in some aspects preparatory. When we are baptized and when we partake of the sacrament, each Sunday, we are witnessing that we are willing, that 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 we are taking upon ourselves the name of Christ, and that we're willing to do certain things, right? That is preparatory and kind of a baseline testimony for the real conversion that happens in our worship in the temple. Because now we're moving from being willing to, to do certain things, to we're going to make additional covenants well, in to, the temple. To saying yes, I will. Yes, live this these laws in, in this way. Right. So you kind of graduate to temple worship, which now is I'm making these covenants of my own free will, and now I am going to act upon those covenants. I'm not just willing to do it; I will do it. So. It's very interesting. There's so many symmetries in the gospel, how the Aaronic priesthood, which has real power, is preparatory to the Melchizedek priesthood, right? Our Sunday Sabbath worship, which has real power and positively affects our life, but ultimately is preparatory to the worship we do in the temple and the covenants we make there, which require us to outwardly live those covenants we make. It actually takes us full circle. Yep. 
because the Aaronic priesthood, baptism and sacrament, being preparatory, what is that all about? That's all about developing testimony. Yes, 100%. It is about developing that testimony through your willingness, your real intent, going through that process of experimentation, of faith and repentance, of gaining knowledge of spiritual truths. That's why we have testimony meetings. On Sabbath, once a month on the Sabbath. Every month. It's right that preparatory priesthood. It's all about testimony. It's about it's about gaining that fundamental, foundational knowledge. The higher priesthood, spiritual administration of things, temple worship. It's all about conversion. Yep, taking that testimony you have and then acting on it or becoming more like Christ through your agency and how how you live your life according to the testimony you have received from the Holy Ghost. And that's just, that, that's, that's a beautiful, that's an amazing way to, to really conceptualize the priesthood and the two priesthoods and how they, they work together so beautifully and in, in perfect harmony. Well, it keeps in perspective Aaronic and Melchizedek priesthood, and it creates a better perspective of testimony and conversion. And that's why the, the last kind of the, the culminating covenant we make in the temple is the law of consecration, because that is the greatest manifestation of our level of conversion, where our heart truly is. Because if our heart is still on aspects of Babylon, if it still loves and wants to be part of parts of the telestial kingdom and glory we, we are born into, you're, you're not ready to fully live in the presence of the Father and to be a true inheritor of all that he has, right? And, and ultimately, it's not that we're ever going to be perfect. It's not that we earn being a, a, a an inheritor of all that the Father has. But if our hearts are in the right place, if we give what we can, where we can, to the fullest extent we can, then the Savior makes up any deficiencies. And now we qualify as a true inheritor of all that the Father has. And that is such a beautiful, worthwhile goal and endeavor. And, and whatever the cost, whatever sacrifice is required, whatever we must give up, the reward is worth whatever we must go through. And the blessings are available now. That's Yes, right now. Those rewards and the realization of those rewards can be received today. And they will be so magnificent and so grand that you you almost can't believe you're receiving them. And then you sit back and ponder, there's even greater blessings to be to be had mm-hmm. in the life hereafter. Well, we're approaching an hour and a half. Oh, is that it? <laughs> That's as far as we've gotten? Goodness gracious. <laughs> so let's try to be true to our true to our purpose and our word here All that right. we started with. Sub two hour time. Let's uh let's end with some testimony. Yep. And I testify that Jesus is the Christ and that he has the power to forgive sins and to heal us spiritually. I have felt that power in my life. I feel it every day. And I know that the Book of Mormon is true. I know that the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is the kingdom of God on the earth. And I know that as we make covenants and do our best to be true and faithful to those covenants, 
the fullness of the Holy Ghost that's available to us and that we can truly build Zion in our hearts and in our families. And then that spirit can just flow from us freely to those around us. I know that all these things are true. And I share this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Testimony. The truth we try to share with one another, it can be received and the Spirit can bear witness of that truth. We strengthen and can even establish testimony as we listen to, ponder, and hear the words from others. Anyone that is a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, at one point or another, heard truth, heard testimony, and received that testimony themselves. What we are calling on all people to do now is to no longer borrow any light and any truth from anybody, but to now be truly converted. As Elder Bednar says, receive revelation, walk the covenant path, make and keep those covenants and allow the Lord to heal you. You no longer borrow light from anyone else, but you receive it directly from the Father. You receive truth directly from Him. As you make these covenants, and as you act and willingly go out and live out those covenants that you have made, your conversion deepens and you will withstand everything that the world or the adversary will surely throw at you and seek to distract you with at some point in the future. Don't live on borrowed light. Don't be satisfied with just a testimony. I'm not demeaning or belittling that. It is where you must start. But understand, there are greater truths to be received. There is a greater work for you to do and the blessings and the peace and the joy that come from truly being converted to the Lord surpass all that the world could ever provide or that, that, that the world could ever try to mess you up with. Only the Lord can provide that lasting joy and peace that never ends. I testify of him, of his work on the earth today, of the restoration in this final dispensation, which is true. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Amen.